Have you ever thought about the circumstances and events leading up to the time you trusted Christ? Hey, during the time you didn't think about it, but you go back in the rearview mirror of your mind, you ever think about, man, that didn't make sense during that time, but it sure makes sense now. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. When was the last time you were involved in a study of the Holy Spirit? Has it been a while? Well, that's true for many of us. The Holy Spirit is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son, and yet His role often is downplayed. Just look at the texts of some of today's praise and worship songs. Did you know the Holy Spirit has a direct role in our salvation? We're going to take a look at that today. Come study with us. Crawford is leading us through a series called Supernatural, and so far we've discussed just who the Holy Spirit is, the works of the Holy Spirit, and today we'll hear about the Holy Spirit and salvation. If you're new to our program, our speaker has been in pastoral and organizational Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's authored several books and now heads an organization called Beyond Our Generation, which seeks to mentor those in ministry leadership. Now, if you've not been with us for previous messages, you can easily get caught up by streaming them on our website or through some of your favorite streaming services. Today's text is John chapter 16, verses 4 through 11. John 16, 4 through 11. Let's learn more about the Holy Spirit's role. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Well, I just want to connect some dots here. We're in this series on the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as I've been saying each time, one of the reasons why uh, I've chosen to talk about the Holy Spirit is that, frankly, I got a little bit convicted. Uh, the Holy Spirit, a friend of mine, Francis Chan, wrote a book a number of years ago entitled The Forgotten God. And uh, I think that's an apt title. Uh, there's so much confusion about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who resides in our hearts and lives. And as you have heard me say on a number of occasions that we are living in the era of the Holy Spirit. That time between the ascension of Christ and when he returns for his church is the era of the ministry and the activity of the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, I would say the vast majority of Christians have either woefully inadequate information and understanding on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, or we have been pulled toward excesses uh, when it comes to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So there's some either weird ideas about him, or there's not enough information. And I think the enemy's in all of that because he knows that if we ever get this thing right, if we ever get the right perspective and emphasis on the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, Katie, bar the spiritual door. I tell you, there, there, there will be so many incredible things happening in and through our hearts and lives and impact like we have no idea. And so it's important for us to, to understand what the Word of God teaches about the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to review all the messages, but I do need to review last week. Uh, last week, I talked about the works of the Holy Spirit. I made the observation, quite frankly, you can say everything I'm talking about in this six-part series and put it under the banner of the works of the Holy Spirit. But theologically, most theologians, uh, scholars say that there are five fundamental primary works in a massive way of the Holy Spirit. And whenever you think of the Holy Spirit, a good word to think about is life. Life. 
Everything associated with the Holy Spirit is life and living. And so the five key works of the Holy Spirit are these. Number one, he's the agent of creation. Uh, A lot of people didn't know that or realize that, but he hovered over, brooded over the face of the waters. He is the agent of creation. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the agent of incarnation, or he generated the life of Christ. The reason why I said that that's so terribly important is that if Jesus was conceived by human means, that is, a sperm of a man uniting with the egg of a woman, he would have had a a less than perfect human nature. His human nature had to be perfect. He had to be the perfect God-man, and that's the reason why the virgin birth is so terribly important. And the Holy Spirit is the one who conceived Jesus. And so he's the agent of creation, he's the agent of, of, uh, of incarnation. Number two, number three, he's the agent of regeneration. That's how we become believers, new life. That text from Titus that we, we've been regenerated, uh, made new by the Spirit of God. It's the whole emphasis of John in John 3, you must be born again. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is, uh, fourthly, the Holy Spirit is also the agent of transformation. I said last week I struggled a little bit with that. What I mean by that is not just personal transformation, but this thing called the church, the body of Christ, the inauguration of what God is doing in the world. The living activity of the Spirit of God among the peoples of God in the world. That's what I mean by that. And he inaugurated this church and Paul called us the household of God in the world. And then fifthly and finally, the Holy Spirit is the agent of inspiration. And by that I mean that, that, that this book right here, it's not just a collection of great statements of inspirational thoughts, historical data, wonderful poetry that makes us feel good and great examples. It is, it is the living, active voice of God. And the Holy Spirit superintended the authors of this book in such a way that what they wrote and how they wrote was the living, active word of God. So those are the primary works of the Holy Spirit. Well, today I want to answer the question, how is the Holy Spirit related to our salvation? Those of us who come to know Christ, how how is he involved in all of that? I mentioned last week about regeneration as, as part of his work, and that's certainly an element there, but how, how, how is he involved? Uh, have you ever thought about the circumstances and events leading up to the time you trusted Christ? I, during the time, you didn't think about it. But you go back in the rearview mirror of your mind, you ever think about, man, That didn't make sense during that time, but it sure makes sense now. Many of us felt as if the walls were closing in. You remember those feelings? Remember options were being taken off the table? Uh, You were less self-assured than you thought you were? Stuff that didn't bother you about yourself that you ran from, you had to face? Uh, Maybe things started to unravel in your life? Stuff wasn't working out for you. Things began to catch up with you. And maybe, maybe you had this uh, growing, overwhelming sense that you had to take seriously what you were hearing about Christ. 
Remember, I used to just blow it off and say, ah, no, you used to argue with people about that all this. No, you know, that didn't happen. What about the virgin birth? What about the body? You know, I don't know. And Jesus said, you know, they're all the religious leaders. How can it be the only way to God? You just kept going on. But then all of a sudden, it's like there's this growing sense in you that, oh, maybe this stuff uh, makes a little more sense than I've given it credit for. Remember that? Remember how you, you just couldn't stand living the way you were living? I, I came to Jesus, I was like almost 14, but I still can remember, I had, that, that, that is accurate. I, I had this, I had a sense of guilt and compelling curiosity. Guilt and compelling curiosity. And uh, by the way, Somebody might be here in this audience, you're like that right now. And all that stuff is hemming you in. That's the work of the Spirit of God. He starts positioning the message where we can't avoid it. He starts isolating us where you got to deal with stuff in which, you know, no longer can your frenetic activity or you can deflect that or somehow another deal with that. Now, you start having to deal with the gaps and the, and the brokenness in your life and the, the stuff that, you know, uh, you, you kind of would just sort of turn off. And now you got to work with that. The question is, how does the Holy Spirit then therefore relate to us? How does he work uh, with regard to salvation, with regard to bringing us to Jesus. I'm going to say there are three primary ways in which the Holy Spirit works in terms of our salvation. Number one, the Holy Spirit draws us. Secondly, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And I decided to put this one in here because it's at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He draws us, he convicts us, and he indwells us. Actually, if I, was, if I preach this message again, I might change the outline a little bit because the truth of the matter is that there's a relationship between the drawing and convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. They're two sides of the same coin. They really go together, but I'm gonna separate them out for the sake of discussion that the Holy Spirit draws us and he convicts us. First of all, the Holy Spirit draws us. The Holy Spirit draws us. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 44 is an incredible text here, but you need to see it in this broader context. Jesus has taken the opportunity to address the crowd for their wrong motives for following him. What has just taken place here is that Jesus had performed this incredible miracle. He had uh, fed the multitude. And uh, you know, probably 15, we say 5,000 men, but probably 15, 20,000 people were fed by a few loaves and some fish. Well, he gets in the boat and crosses the other side of the Sea of Tiberias, which is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee. He crosses on the other side of the Sea of Tiberias, and lo and behold, he gets on the other side, and here are all these people. Now, this is at the apex of his earthly ministry where crowds are still going with him. They have yet to reject him, and so they're there. They're there. But Jesus punctures their bubble because he understood that they were there for wrong reasons. And he makes this statement. He said, come on, man. <laughs> Seriously? You, you don't, you don't, you're not seeking me because you believe in me. You're not seeking me because you want to follow me. The text says you're seeking me because you ate of the loaves and your bellies were filled. 
You want me to do, do some more David Copperfield stuff for you, some more hocus pocus, yeah, yeah, do something else for me. You know, all the bennies here, you know, you're not, you're not serious about being committed to me. Boy, I could really get into that because there's a lot of folks who are so-called believers and followers of Jesus whose motivation for following Jesus is a better lifestyle. And the moment Jesus disappoints them, they hit the door. The moment there's a little affliction, a little suffering, a little letdown, or a little dream didn't come through, a little prayer request wasn't answered, this kind of thing, ping, cut tail and run. And this is the same thing here. So Jesus sets them up, and he says, look, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for that food which endures unto eternal life. So then he comes and he makes a statement. He wants to crystallize what it really means about having a relationship with him. Not everybody who boasts about wanting to have a relationship with him really wants to have a relationship with him. So he says, he makes this whole statement here in John chapter 6, verse 44. He says, no one can come to the Father or come to me unless the Father who sent me, here you have it, draws him. I want to read that again. And I, your ears need to be open here because I think we have some wrong ideas about salvation. We think that we can choose Christ anytime that we want to. Really, salvation is all of God. God is the primary mover. And even the desire to trust him is given to us by him. So he says, no one, universal negative, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And again, I would say that the drawing and convicting work of the Holy Spirit is related, and I'll get to that in a moment here, but the drawing here is selective. However, it is the responsibility of all to respond to the gospel. Now, I struggle a little bit in my preparation because, you know, I don't want to get into, at least in this message, I will talk about it sometime, predestination and election and these kinds of things. But suffice it to say here, suffice it to say here, there's urgency whenever you feel, you feel a pulling in your heart that this might be so, that this might be true, and you start feeling the hemming in in your heart and mind. At that point, there's a sense of urgency. The writer of Hebrews says, the day you hear my voice, harden not your heart. Theologians call that the effectual call to salvation. And here Jesus makes it abundantly clear, you can't come to the Father unless you're drawn to him. Now I would say quickly, the drawing is selective, however, it is the responsibility of all to respond to the gospel. And I don't think we ought to get sideways about who God is calling. If you think he's calling you, he's calling you. Although calling is selective, the response is universal that we ought, ought all to respond. And it's, it's crystallized in the verse, verse 37, a few verses up from this, when, 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 when Jesus says, Jesus says, no one can come except the Father draws him, but at any rate, he says, he says that anyone who comes to him, I will in no wise cast out. The Father's gonna give him to me, but if you come to me, I won't cast you out. Here he puts them together. It is our responsibility to respond. He draws us. Now, verse 44 is a statement about both our hopeless condition and God's power to change us. 
And again, this kisses up against uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot change ourselves. We cannot give ourselves a relationship with God. That is erroneous thinking. The Bible says there's none that seek him, no, not one. That's the reason why, again, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And admittedly, there's not the mention of the Holy Spirit in this, but it is implied from our broader understanding of what the Holy Spirit does in his work in setting up and orchestrating the events around us. What's the old, old line? We often turn to God when our foundations are shaking only to discover it's God who's shaking them. He is drawing us. He is working in our hearts and lives. He's editing our lives. But we can't do that in ourselves. The Bible says no one seeks after God. And even the desire to move toward him is given to us by God. So it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to pull us out of our sinfulness. That's what the drawing work of the Holy Spirit is all about. People are so ensnared in the quicksand of sin and unbelief that unless God draws us, we are hopeless. We're hopeless. No one comes to Jesus apart from the drawing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and so all all of that stuff, feeling uneasy about your life, sense of feeling empty, um, that, that, that sense that things are not kind of like working out, stuff that I used to ignore I got to pay attention to right now, the lack of peace in my heart, the fact that I just keep, wherever I turn, I just keep hearing about this Jesus stuff and the gospel and the need to trust Jesus and keep running into that. That's the work of the Spirit of God drawing us drawing us to himself. And so the Holy Spirit draws us. Secondly, we're going to sit in this one for a while. The Holy Spirit convicts us. I want you to turn to that great text in John chapter 16, verses, uh, actually the context begins in the middle part of verse 4. And I'm going to read this short paragraph in its entirety because I, I think it's important. Um, the middle part of verse 4, I started at the beginning of verse 4, so, He says, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you that he's talking about persecution and reminding them of what he said to them. Okay, and now we pick it up. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, Parakletos, the Holy Spirit is who he's referring to here, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now listen, 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 listen. Here's his, here's his job here. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And I'm going to unpack this in a moment, but this is very important stuff here. This is the primary focal point 
pre-salvation work of the Holy Spirit. He draws us, but it's connected here. He also convicts us. The word convict here uh, generally means to bring to light and expose it. It means to be convinced of wrongdoing. Uh, uh, but, but, but it's more than that. Uh, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with even some of my colleagues and friends who want to reduce the word to just being convinced. Because as you read the text, it's not just an intellectual convincing of, in my mind, that these things are wrong. It, it, is, it is a total personality convincing that I am wrong. That my way of life is wrong. It is that I'm guilty. In fact, in fact, the word, technically the word convict, the Greek word, it literally is a legal term. And much like we use it today, it means to refute and convince. To refute and convince. In the work of the Holy Spirit, prior to salvation in our hearts and lives, is to argue with us is to refute how we've been living. You know, you, 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 you keep getting high, but you got a hangover in the morning. How did that work? You keep bouncing from relationship to relationship. Are you, any, are you fulfilled? There's this argument in your soul that's going on, and that's literally part of the word to con- con- convict you, you, you. The Spirit of God is refuting your assumptions. He's refuting us, and, and he, he's also uh, convincing us you know, the weight of evidence is on my side, Crawford. <laughs> You're wrong. You're so wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm pulling everything off the table for you to see how wrong you are. It's the idea of pronouncing a verdict. And the verdict has come in, and you're guilty. The jury's in the, in, in, in the jury box. You are guilty. Now, I got to say this here because, you know, some of us have been conditioned to, to, to think that, hey, look, don't ever preach messages that, that are laden with guilt. Any preacher that does not preach a message that does not make people feel guilty is not being faithful to the scriptures. I didn't say that I should make you feel guilty, for I am one of you. I should never be condescending. I should never be dismissive. I should never come across as if I'm any better than anybody else. That's not the point, but it is, and I gotta tell you in all honesty, it is the job and role of the Holy Spirit to make us feel guilty. I didn't say false guilt. I didn't say baseless accusations. But the whole role of the Spirit of God in terms of communicating the gospel and the truth of what Jesus has done, you can't come to know Jesus unless you feel your guilt. You can't do it. He has come to convict us. Crawford Lorenz here on Living a Legacy. The Holy Spirit draws us and convicts us. And next week, Crawford will list three ways the Holy Spirit convicts us, according to our passage in John chapter 16. I think it's becoming clear why it's so important to understand the role of the Holy Spirit and why it's important to revisit this topic often. Crawford is leading us through a series titled Supernatural, and we hope it's helpful. If so, just write us a short note. Look for the contact link on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. 
Kathy says, my husband and I listen to Crawford every Sunday morning. His teachings never fail to put a finger on an area of sin in our lives, offer encouragement, dispense grace, open our eyes to God's greater work, and generally bless us. We are maturing in the faith through the work of Dr. Lorenz. Well, that's so encouraging. Thank you, Kathy. Now, how about you? Again, look for the contact link on the left side of the webpage, livingalegacy.org. Next week, part two of Crawford's message, The Holy Spirit and Salvation. Come back and study with us again. I'm Bill Davis. Thank you for listening. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.